Good morning, friends of the Compass Church. Uh, good morning to all of you at 95th Campus, all of you at Bolingbrook, Wheaton people, Hobson people. Uh, we got a special, special day here. I want to I make an announcement uh, via four dates, actually. Let's put these four dates. These four years represent very significant moments for the Compass Church. They represent significant moments for the advance of the cause of Christ. Can we go back in time to 1953? Tempted to ask how many of you were alive in 1953, but I won't. Relax. 1953 was the year down in Wheaton, or up in Wheaton. Uh, There was a band of uh, Christ followers who were starting a church. They had just started a church, were renting a place, worshiping there. And they realized that it was time for them to purchase land. And so they found a farm on Roosevelt Road and bought nine acres of land back in 1953. And that's our Wheaton campus today. They continue for all of those decades to worship on that sacred ground, using it as an outpost for the good news of Jesus Christ. And oh, the ministry that has happened and will continue to happen because of that strategic move of that group back then. 1983, how many of you were around then? In high school, anybody? Yeah. Uh, Folks, this was the year that the land at the Hobson campus was purchased. Again, a farm that was at the corner of Hobson and College. And that group rose up and said, let's do it. This is the time. That property has been purchased. And we benefit every week, those who worship at Hobson, from the investment and the strategic initiative gained by that group in that strategic year. 1997, uh, Bolingbrook folks, that was when the daughter church of the Naperville Free Church called New Song Church rose up and bought, again, nine acres on uh, Braylock Road. And this time it was a Briarcliff, sorry. That's the time it was a school. Uh, this school is huge. It was the benefit of getting nine acres plus all of this square footage that we continue to convert into a wonderful place of worship. And, you know, all of you right now are at Bolingbrook. We thank God for those who rose up back in 1997 in that strategic moment. How many of you were alive back in 1997? Oh, will we admit that? Yeah. And then you see 2019, and, and you say, what, what, what's that? First of all, it sounds like a long ways away, doesn't it? Try two months. Uh, it's around the corner. And Lord willing, this year will be absolutely strategic. I say Lord willing. I, I always hesitate to get ahead of ourselves. There's a real chance for this to all fall apart. But it seems that God is guiding and providing for our 95th Campus. Friends, our 95th campus has been around for over eight years now, a flourishing campus in South Naperville with over 500 people worshiping every weekend. And they have been uh, kind of mobile, renting spots. At first, it was a junior high school. Presently, we rent part of an office building. But it has been on our minds and in our hearts for a long time to have that strategic win of providing 
the, the, the home, the land for the 95th Street campus. We've actually been searching. We've been using a consultant to help us analyze. We've been out on numerous properties, praying, studying, looking. You know, where a church is at is extremely important. You know, they say in the restaurant business, location, location, location. And it's true with churches, too. Churches that end up buried in a neighborhood always struggle wishing they had a more prominent location that makes their identity known to the community. Well, we see an opportunity that has come our way that excites us so much. I know uh, John Kalvig has already talked with uh, the 95th group about this, so I'm sharing with them again and to the whole church about this Wagner Farm opportunity. The Wagner Farm is looking to sell their land to Pulte Homes, and we could get in on a part of it. Let me show you on a map here. Uh, This is uh, Route 59, which so many of you know very well. And this is 95th Street. In fact, here is the business building that our 95th Street campus presently meets at. Well, the first major street south of 95th, one mile south, is 103rd Street. And this Wagner Farms is 113 acres that sits right here. Well, Pulte is looking to build 100, I'm sorry, 312 homes in this area, and they are willing to sell us the eight acres on the corner at the same price per acre that they're paying for their land which represents an incredible opportunity. This is a major intersection, and to be sitting on the corner is just absolutely glorious. So friends, it's it's business time. You know, we're a congregational polity church, and we make big decisions like this through a member vote. And so I want to tell you, in two weeks... We've got a business meeting, Sunday, November 18th, two weeks from today, 4 o'clock, at the Hobson campus. We want our members to come together. Non-members are invited to attend, though only the members will have a chance to vote on this matter. And we're going to be voting on, should we, should we buy this land? We're going to be voting on, do you have, give us permission to borrow the money to buy this land? The, the way it's going to work is that, you know, because the opportunity is available now, We'll borrow the money to buy it, and then we'll raise the money. We've got a capital campaign that will be in the works in the plan that's uh, going to be a tremendous, uh, exciting time of growth for us as we make improvements on all four of our facilities, but the lion's share of it will be towards gaining our 95th campus, their permanent home. What a season. Friends, I, I, I like imagining... I like imagining that like, when we're dead and gone, is that a sad thought for you? Uh, we'll be in heaven at that point. But imagine we're dead and gone and in heaven. There will be people, so maybe a pastor standing up uh, at that corner saying, back in 2019, how many of you were alive back then? You know? There was four campuses that rallied together and bought the very land we're worshiping on. And we'll know we, we were part of that great victory. So we need to be in prayer. Uh, This is going to go to the city council. And if you've ever been aware of the city council drama, there's inevitably folks who are going to oppose, you know, this development. And, uh, you know, may God work through the city council vote. And we hope, if this is the Lord's will, to see it through. But prayer is needed. In fact, I'd like to pray right now at all four campuses. Can we bow and pray for this great opportunity? Lord, you are the one who guides 
guide us. You are the one who provides, and it seems you are providing, and we thank you. And God, in this moment, we just ask for your blessing. Would you just go before us? And if we're right in discerning that this is your great guidance, would you help us be strong and faith-filled and generous and move forward in a season of great kingdom victory through establishing our 95th campus with a home? We're looking to you, God, and we're going to follow you no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I find a little irony in that we're in a series on the metaphors found in Ephesians regarding what the church is, and we come to this message, the church is a building. There we go. And that's kind of confusing because the church is not a building. So let me try to explain, all right? The church is not a building. A building is a tool in the hands of the church to advance the church. 95th is already a vital part of the church, even though they don't own their own building, all right? So it's important to know that the church is the people. The church is not the building, but a building can be used by the church for generations to advance his cause. What this message is about is that the building is a metaphor for a church. And so the right way to say it is, we are not a building, but we are like a building, If you've seen construction of a building, you can learn something about what the church is. And we're striving in this series to understand, Lord, give us your eyes. We don't want to look at what the church is through the eyes of the world because they don't know what the church is. God, we want your eyes. Help us to see the church as you see it. Last week we learned that the church is the bride. Jesus says, when I look at my church, my heart is just bursting the beauty of my bride. He loves the church. And this week we come to this image of a building under construction. Now, the problem when we turn to a building under construction is we tend to think of modern construction. You know, we think of uh, siding, and we think, you know, there was no vinyl siding in Jesus' day, just so you know. Or you may think of bricks. Even that's not ideal. Let's, let's read the passage, and I'll tell you what kind of construction we're looking at. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and to us, I might add, "'You are no longer foreigners and strangers.'" but citizens with God's people, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. I mentioned to you that the construction here is not of siding or even bricks for that matter. Let's highlight the word stone Jesus is the cornerstone. We'll get into what that means a little more. But for now, I just want to point out stone. One of the important things to understand is that buildings back then were built of stone. Uh, This is a piece of field stone. And it's important for us to realize that it wasn't bricks but stone. There's actually a couple reasons we're going to see as our study progresses that this is important. Uh, We don't see buildings made of round stone from, I did see one over by the Naperville train station. Here's a picture of this house. It's like 100 years old. Some of you have seen it before. Isn't that cool? It's all field stone, you know, put together. And so when we think of the church being built, this is what we've got to think of. 
Peter, when he wrote an epistle called 1 Peter, he called each of us living stones. Same image, you know. We're living stones being added to the building of God. We're not living bricks. And and that difference is important. One of the reasons that it's important to remember that we're living stones is that stones have a, a past life. Bricks have no past life. Bricks are made, and then they go into the construction. Stones have got, you know, their years and years, centuries, that they were not a part of a structure, and then the builder came and picked them up and made them a part of the structure. The past life of stones is, is it's important. We see that in the verse. Let's go to the next slide. Look at this. Speaking to primarily the Gentiles, if you read the context, you realize Paul's talking about these non-Jews now being a part of this Christianity that has a Jewish foundation. He says, you are no, lo- you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You used to be. There was a day when you were for- foreigners and strangers. Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And as a result, these Gentiles felt alienated from the fellowship, the family of God. They felt apart, separated, isolated. That was their past life. I I found this particular stone. I was walking through the forest preserve. Boy, the, the leaves are falling fast. Make sure you've taken a look at the glory of God on display explosively through the colors in these trees these days. And anyways, I'm walking along, and I, I saw this stone laying there in the ground. Here, allow me to personify the stone. And you say, that's kind of weird. Hey, the Bible's doing it. We are living stones, all right? So that said, the stone was lonely, people. It's sitting there all alone on the ground, and how, who knows how many hundred years it's been sitting there. There's kind of a story behind what God's telling here. God says that we are like living stones, that once we were strangers and foreigners all alone. But Jesus, the master builder, has picked us up and said, I got a place for you, and walked us over to his construction process and added us. Uh, Let's highlight this. In him, the whole building is joined together. This is you. Who's the master builder? Jesus. This is in him. What is he doing? He's joining together. And now when you think of that stone house, you begin to see what the the building of the church looks like. It's the Lord taking living stones, you, and putting you into the wall, making you a part of the community that he is building. This movement from isolation and into community is absolutely vital for each of us and critical for us to understand what the church is. We are a community. And being a part of that community is one of the basic fundamental needs of every human being. Do you know that? I was watching a TED Talk, a very popular TED Talk, of Brene Brown. There's a picture of Brene. She is a research professor at the University of Houston, and she just concluded a six-year study where she used so many people to get at some of the foundational needs of human beings. And her studies reveal this. She said, we are hardwired neurologically. 
She's pointing to how God made us, how we were created. She says we are hardwired neurologically to need connection. But then she goes on to describe what connection is. She said connection is not just having people in your lives. You can have people, but that's not connection. She said connection is having people in your lives. Number two, being vulnerable and real, letting them really see who you are. And then there's a third thing that's necessary, and that is that they have to love you and accept you as you are. Only then, she says, will we find the connection that we were hardwired for. Wow. God made us to need his vision that's conveyed in the church. Robin Williams, the uh, sad story of this great comic who took his life, uh, he said it this way. He said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up alone. He said, it's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel all alone. See what he's getting at? He's realized, I I once was alone and then I got people, but getting people in my life was not enough because their rejection of me made me feel worse than ever. What we need is a people who we can be real with and who will love us right as we are. Friends, that's the church. As we go to the next slide again and look at this phrase, this is Jesus doing what only Jesus can do. He is joining together this diverse group of people that you wouldn't think would go together. That's the marvel of a stone home. It's like a puzzle where you're like, wow, all of these obscure shapes coming together in beautiful unity. I wouldn't have thought... No offense to all the brick masons in our church, but it's not so cool compared to stonemasonry because bricks, you know, they're all the same. If you crack one, throw it away, take another, you know, and and it's like, yeah, it just goes because they're all the same shape. We are not like bricks in that regard. We are irregularly shaped. Are you offended by that? I I don't I don't mean physically, I mean your your inner self, your personality. You say I'm weird. God says, you're unique. And what we discover is that the Lord has made each of us very, very different. And yet by the miracle of Jesus Christ, he takes very different people and joins them into one. You know, the the stonemason actually goes to a pile of stone and he looks at what he's got and he looks at the gap that he needs to fill in the wall and he says... What's just right? And the irregularity of the stone is used to make it the precise, perfect fit for the wall. I'll phrase it this way. Your weirdness is needed here. (laughs) The, The strange uniqueness of each of our personalities is precisely what this church needs at all four of our campuses. We need you to be you. You know, sometimes we want to try to act like the person next to us. No! God's vision is that you would be a Christ-infused version of who God has made you to be. And you may say, I don't feel like I'm like the other people around here. Fantastic! We don't need you to be like the other people. We need you to be you as you are conformed by Jesus. The incredible miracle 
of the church is that all these diverse and unique personality types are taken by Jesus and joined together into this mosaic that is one. And you say, how is it that Jesus does this so well? Like no other type of group, club, community. How is it that the church has this unique capacity to take people who would otherwise rub each other wrong, people who are like oil and water, and he can make oneness out of them. I'll tell you how. Jesus is able to do that because he uses the mortar of grace. Grace is a wild reality. Grace is undeserved love. As Christians, we are the recipients of grace. That's our fundamental identity. Jesus died on the cross for us. He took our place. He said, step out of my way. I'm going to serve your death penalty. And we don't deserve that act of love, but undeserved love has been showered on us. And then Christ says, now you go show undeserved love to others. Most of the world, you know, when they find somebody they can't stand, they break community. But in the church, which is grace-based, we find people who are works in progress, and naturally we'd find them quite irritating. But we say, Lord, give me the strength to love them anyways. Give me the capacity to love people who don't deserve it. And as a result of this infusion of grace as a mortar, we find this community that would be naturally broken apart, joined together by the power of God's grace applied to them and then applied through them. And a unity is built that would not be built if not for grace. Isn't that beautiful? Let me just tell you a little more about this glorious, grace-based, Christ-built community. Uh, first of all, let's, let's highlight these lines. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. It's as if uh, the Lord is saying, here you are, you've just been added to the wall. Now look down and see what wall it is you're a part of. And what you'll notice is that you're part of a wall that extends back into the days of Jesus. And Jesus, in fact, is the cornerstone. The cornerstones, again, we don't build this way very much. And so the cornerstone was the most important stone in the construction of an ancient building. As the guys try to figure out, where are we going to put this building? Well, the cornerstone was the stone that you must get right. Because if you get that in the right place, the foundation walls would extend off of it and you'd get the building in the right place. And sure enough, Jesus is the one from whom our whole community springs forth. But not only Jesus, the apostles, you know, these were the leaders of the New Testament church. Prophets, there were prophets who spoke the word of God in the New Testament days as well as the Old Testament days. And friends, as you look down and say, what kind of a group have I gotten myself into? They are a part of this great community you have been joined to. Who's in the club? Not only those who are alive today, but those who have gone before. This reminds me of my brother-in-law. He took me recently to his country club. Ooh, hoity-toity. This is like important people. I, I will never be a part of them, but I did get to eat there for one time because I was the guest of my brother-in-law. You have to be invited and you have to be a VIP. And this building is 100 years old. This club has been around for a century. And he brought me down this hall that has all of these old black and white photos with a real ornate 
frame around them. And, and he's like, Jeff, these are some of the past presidents and leaders. And we pass through here and we just are reminded that this community is those who are alive presently, but we're a part of those, these great people who have gone before. That's us. You wonder, hey, I'm, the Lord's like adding me to some crazy group of weird people. What, what am I a part of here? Well, look down. Take a look. Jesus himself is part of this family. The, the heroes of old are part of this family. In fact, those lower foundation levels are cheering us on. Because this level today, we're the present. We're the ones still fighting the good fight. We've the one, we're the ones holding the baton. The Bible says in Hebrews that we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, referring to those who have gone before us. And from heaven, they are cheering us, saying, come on, man, advance the cause of Christ as we did. No, better than we did. This is our community. You want to know what kind of group you're a part of? Here you go. What links to greatness. And it's more than that. Check, check this out. It says here, This building is being joined together by Jesus and it rises to become a holy temple. You know, temples. It's an imagery lost on us largely, but in the first century, the temple was the most glorious building in the city. It says rises to become a temple. The temple was the highest building in the city. And of all buildings that a stone could hope to be a part of, the temple was the best. You know, a stone could be a, a boundary line. If you were plucked out of obscurity and brought into a boundary line, one foot tall, eh. Or you could be a fence on a farm, you know, that's about three feet tall, better. Or you could be part of a latrine, you know, an outhouse. Uh, and you're like, eh, no, I'll take it. Or you could be part of a residence, a two-story home. It's better. But the greatest, most glorious opportunity would be a, a, a stone in the temple of God. And what the Lord's trying to say here is that there's all kinds of buildings. There's all kinds of clubs or communities that you can be a part of. You know, you can be a street gang that's, you know, unified in violence. Or, or you could be a country club community unified by golf. Or you could be in a knitting club, you know, unified in hot pads. But you can be in the church of Jesus Christ, unified around the eternal kingdom of God. Friends, the, the cause of the creator of all, the savior of the world, the king of the universe. Pick your club. There's lots of communities out there and clubs to be a part of. Only one rises to become a temple of God created to worship him, bring him fame throughout the land and advance his cause. Which club do you want to be a part of? Friends, the church is a community because we were made for community. A church is a community of diverse people who are brought together in unity by the master builder Jesus using the mortar of grace to hold it together tight. The church is a community founded on the rich history of the heroes of the biblical age. The church is the only community that rises gloriously devoted to promoting and celebrating the advance of God and worship of him. What a privilege we have of being a part of this community. 
Let me apply this message by providing just three words of application. Can I do that? The first is hospitality. Now that we know that God's plan is that weird-shaped people are to be integrated graciously and made part, that there's a place for them. Now that we know that, we need to embody this vision of Jesus and welcome folks. You may have forgotten what it's like to visit a church, but it's scary. When you're a guest, you're kind of like, oh, what's going on? You know, those of you at 95th and Bolingbrook, you're like, the pastor's on the screen. This is weird, you know, and you're a little uncomfortable. But those who are part of our guest services ministry go out of their way to grab people's hands to say, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Out in the parking lot sometimes, in the atrium, in the, in the uh, worship center, just saying, we are thrilled that you're here. And so I say bravo to all of you who serve in guest services. You are accomplishing the vision of God to take folks and say, there's a place for you in the wall of God's building being constructed. There's a place for you in this family. In fact, I would challenge all of us to do hospitality. It's not just people in formal roles We need to grab opportunity when we see it to say, hey, I don't know the person I'm sitting next to. Hey, tell me your name. I'd love a chance to meet you. Or out in the atrium. You know, if we can be committed to hospitality filled with love, that will accomplish this vision of, of shouting, there's a place for you. No matter how different you may feel from us, you're not. You're welcome. And we have a spot here. Unity. One of the things we see in this vision of the building is that God wants to unify. In the context, the miracle of Jew and Gentile becoming one was just mind-boggling then. And it's so clear that Jesus wants to take down the dividing wall and to bring unity. One of the things we can do is fight for unity. Churches have a problem with this, just so you know. We've been blessed with a great amount of unity these days, but we would be naive to think that that unity will just always happen naturally. You've got to fight to be unified. Churches tend to have fractures, divisions, splits, and churches moving into seasons of construction tend to go through the... You ever hear couples being warned? If you build a house together, your marriage may not make it. Yeah, be careful. That can happen. Same is true with the church. There's a lot of decisions and opinions on how things should be done. And, and so we need to fight for unity. I'll use a hammer as an example. You know, a hammer's got two parts to it. It's, there's the head that's used to join. You put nails down to combine boards. And there's the claw that's used to tear apart. You pull the nails out to separate. And I've found that all people have a disposition. There are some who are unifiers to the church, and there are others who just like to complain and point out what's bad and negative and create division. What are you going to be? Some of you realize, even as I say that, you've been real divisive. And you need to turn your hammer around and say, I'm going to intentionally, with the help of God's Spirit, be a unifying force in this church. Or maybe you'll see people saying things that are divisive. You need to hit them over the head. No, not under that. But (laughs) you do need to courageously step in and be a force for unity and say, hey, buddy, just remember, I, I understand there's a problem here. But be careful what you say is building the unity of the bride of Christ and not pulling it down. That takes some courage and some guts. But friends, if we fight together for unity, 
We will be that wall that's, you know, a wall that's been pushed over and broken into pieces grieves the heart of God. His vision is tight unity. All right, one last thing, and that's groups. In a church our size, and truthfully, any church that's over 30 people, there is a danger for this vision of community to be lost and for a church to be a service you attend as opposed to a family you're a part of. And so we accomplish the getting small with groups uh, to make sure that we know one another. Remember the vision that uh, Brene Brown said? We need to be uh, in a group of people where we are known and loved, and that only happens through relationship. And so in groups, we accomplish that. We've got so many small groups, and they uh, accomplish this great vision that we see in this metaphor of the building. I'll just tell you, my small group meets every uh, Wednesday morning. I got a bunch of guys we get together, and it's a miracle that we love each other because we are very, very different. Uh, we, We have extroverts and introverts. We've got guys whose careers, their careers are soaring, and other guys who are unemployed. We have guys whose marriages are great, and other guys who are divorced. We've got White Sox fans and Cub fans, figure that. Just even nationality-wise, I did a little survey, it was fun. We We have a group member who's Mexican, one who's Filipino, one who's of Jewish background, one who's Italian, one who's Serbian, one who's Norwegian. And yet, when we come together on Wednesday, there are hugs and there is a sense, I'm home. These are my peeps. These guys know me. And they love me still. And there have been rough moments, let me tell you. We've had some drama. And yet, grace has brought things back together. And being a part of God's family, his building, it's one of the greatest privileges afforded to humanity. And so if you're not in a group, get in a group. As we do this Explore God Chicago initiative, it's going to represent a bunch of new groups starting up, and it'll be a great chance for you to say, yeah, sign me up. I want to be a part of that. All right. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Let's pray right now towards that same end. Jesus, thanks for the metaphor. All these unique living stones being joined together by you, though different shaped, becoming one. Love it. One in on it. Make our church reflect that vision increasingly. Jesus, make us committed to hospitality and loving on everybody who comes through our doors. God, give us commitment to unity. Help us fight against division and work towards this vision of oneness. And Lord, if people are being led into groups, would you give them the courage? Maybe they tried a group before, had a bad experience. Give them the courage to try it again, to fight to make their unhealthy group healthy or to make a new group. But Lord, may group life flourish at all four campuses of our church. We want to be the one, oneness community you intended the church to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.